let me make one addition. Thank you, Jana, by the way. Thank you for your work. One addition to the process is this. Uh, you might say, where does Karen and the cabinet get the names that they mull over? They might have some, they might be aware of some, and that's true, right? But often, Karen's like, if you have names of you people you think might be good, let me know, because we're going to pray over those names, we're going to talk about those names. So that's where I think we get a lot of input, right? If there's someone that you feel might be, might be good for that role, uh, we put that forward to Karen, she takes it to the cabinet, and they pray over it, so. All right, uh, Stations of the Cross, Thief, we good? Yes. Um, let me just tell you how much this story bothered me when I was young. I'm going to give you three perspectives on the thief. Three perspectives. Don't worry. That makes you think it's going to be a long sermon. It really won't be. Uh, it's, this is like my maturation uh, as, a, as a person, as a Christian or something. But man, this story when I was young really bothered me, right? Uh, I, I, and I say this a lot. I don't know. If I'm supposed to be bothered by the Bible, I just, I just am, so I just share. Because I think if we're being honest, right, you read certain things, you're like, what the heck, right? So here, here was my problem when I was young. So you're telling me this guy gets to do whatever he wants, just, just stealing, just living it up, life of crime, right at the last second. Right at the last minute, he's like, hey, Jesus, I'm about to die. Why don't you forgive me? And Jesus is like, sure, you're going to be with me in paradise like, what? Like, what does that guy get to go to paradise? That, you don't get to go. And here's, let me tell you why I experienced it this way. Because I don't think everyone experiences the story the same way, right? So you think about the thief. If you're, if you're someone who, you know, you've got a testimony, you know, the people that like really have a testimony, like, I did drugs. I was on a Harley for whatever. And then Jesus found me. And like, now I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. If you've got a testimony, that thief story sounds amazing, right? Because it shows you how much God's grace extends to everyone, right? But see, here's the problem. I was a goody two-shoes. I was the kid who's like, I go to church four times a week because I love God, right? I was that kid. I was the kid who lived at church, went to youth group. My home life was difficult. So that's sort of where I found love, found encouragement. But because I was the teetotaler, I feel like, no, no, no. You don't get to just say you're sorry at the very end. You got to, you did whatever you wanted. I didn't do whatever I wanted. I didn't go and party. I didn't like go with girls. I didn't do that stuff. I was in church. And so there was like a bitterness in me towards that thief. Does that, so again, I, I bet you there's two, you're probably split here in the crowd, right? Half of you kind of were wild. You're grateful. You're like, thank goodness Jesus forgives that thief, right? Because that means I'm forgiven. It's wonderful. Half of you are goody two-shoes like me, and you're kind of like frustrated. I'll give you a different story that Jesus tells where I have a similar feeling. The story of the prodigal son. The father who has two sons, right? And one goes off, give me my inheritance early, and goes and parties and does whatever he wants, right? And then you've got the good son who stays around and, like, helps on the farm and shovels poop or whatever, whatever he does, right? And then you get this, the prodigal son comes back after having a great time and is like, you know what? Why don't you forgive me, dad? And he's like, kill the fatted calf. I'm so grateful that this son's come home. But you remember, right? The son that stayed was bitter, right? The son that hung out the whole time is like, what are you doing, dad? Like, 
No fatted calf for me. I've been here the whole time. That's my attitude towards the thief. I'm like the son who stuck around and did everything right, and I'm like upset at the grace. Okay, but here's what I get confronted with over and over, is that the gospel message is perpetually telling me, Joe, whatever you think of deserved, whatever you think of as fair, does not exist in the kingdom of God. That notion of fairness, you need to let go of. You need to crucify it. It doesn't exist, right? Because the notion of fair in scripture is like, no matter when you got hired, you got hired at the beginning of the day, and you got hired at the end of the day, and Jesus' parable is like, you all get paid the same. You remember that? It's the parable of the vineyard owner, the vineyard workers. So you're telling me I worked eight hours, and that doofus worked two hours, and we both get a denarian? Yep. And then, remember, the vineyard's like, can't I give as I please? Or I think about the picture right there of the rainbow, the, guy, the scattering of the seeds, right? Jesus tells the story of the person that scatters the seeds, and they don't go to the good soil. They don't go to the soil that did everything right and went to church four times a week and only planted seeds in that soil, right? Nope. He just scatters it, and some falls on rocks, and some falls on the path, and some falls on good soil. But God's love, God's grace just gets it's like gratuitous. God's grace is just gratuitous all over the place. Everyone gets it. Well, that's really hard when you feel like you've denied yourself so much and you get no extra for denying it. And our, and our culture, capitalism, right, Protestant work ethic really suggests like, no, no, if you work hard, you deserve more, right? But that's not the kingdom of God. So like... Like, it just has to blow up my idea of what's fair, what's just, and I have to reconceive of it. Like, my heart's desire, our heart's desire, is not about people getting what they deserve. Our heart's desire should be that everyone find hope. Everyone find God's love, right? Everyone experience grace. That's my, that should be my heart. It's not, but it should be. That there's something about the thief to be celebrated, something really beautiful in Jesus immediately extending grace when asked, of course. And everyone should rejoice with the prodigal son. Everyone should rejoice with the prodigal thief because they finally, it took them this long, but finally they experienced God's love. They responded to it. And I've reframed it this way before. I'm just, let me just do it again briefly. Part of this was that I didn't think living a Christian life was, was fun when I was young. I didn't think the Christian life was really a good life. It was something I had to endure so I could go to heaven, right? That's how I was raised. That's kind of how I was brought. Like, you, like if I could just do the right things and have a kind of a miserable, non-partying, non-sex-filled life, if I could just do that, then I get to go to heaven, but as soon as I reframed it and I thought, no, 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 God's not trying to give you some horrible test for 75, 85, 95 years so you can go to heaven. No, no, no. Jesus is actually inviting you into the best way to live. 
a life filled with deep relationship, commitment, and love, and connection with God. And once I understood the Christian life as the best way to live, like deeply experiencing God's love and grace, suddenly I felt bad for the thief because he missed out on this till the very end of his life. How sad for the thief. When I was a teenager, it was like, oh man, deathbed confession? Yeah, baby, let's live it up. I'll get like a cancer diagnosis. I'll accept Jesus and I'll get right now. I'll do whatever I wanted and I'll still go to heaven. And suddenly that got reframed in my life. Like, no, 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 no. That you would spend your whole life pursuing dead ends. Things that don't ultimately fill your soul. Things that don't bring real life. So this thief was without God's grace and love for the whole time. And suddenly my heart broke because I felt pity, not resentment. And I think if we can get there, we can stop as Christians being so resentful at sinners, whatever that means, all of us. Uh, so upset at people that are not like us. And instead, we can see people as maybe being lost or broken or, or hurting, and we'll have empathy for them, not resentment. I have empathy for the thief now, right, not resentment. Let me, I'll say one other thing. Uh, as I got older, I went to college. I read a very impactful book. And I'm so sorry, Katie. I'm, like, skipping over all my slides. Thank you for being patient. I do have a slide, if you go forward, that is, shows the book Damien. I've mentioned Herman Hesse before. He has a very powerful influence on me. Uh, I read him in college. Uh, in this particular book, there's two school-aged children, Sinclair and Damien, and they're in Catholic school. Maybe it was Lutheran school. And uh, they're learning about scripture. And Herman Hesse gives his take on the thief. So this is perspective number two. Damien is the more mature. He's the skeptic. He's the one who's pushing Sinclair. Sinclair's Joe Banker. Sinclair, Sinclair's the like goody two-shoes, right? Sinclair's like, you told me. I believe it. I'll follow the rules. Where's my treat, right? Damien's like, I don't know about this. So he taught, he, when he talks about the thief, here's Damien. He says, he's to be pitied most of all because he shows himself to be a coward. The thief has to renounce his entire life in his last second. Why would you do that? Why would you take the life that you've chosen to live and in your last seconds turn your back on it, renounce it all? Damien says, I don't want to be friends with that person. What a, what a cowardly thing to do. Let me, let me tell you how this hit me. At this stage in my life, I remember reading this and being so moved and not fully understanding why. Like there seems like there's something true here, right? And so here's, here's how I um, identified, how it, like it sunk into me. I was about 22 years old, and I thought, stop living in such a way that you would come to your deathbed and regret it all. You can't live in such a way that you would come to the end of your life and renounce it all. But ultimately, this is how I felt about Christianity, because I saw it as a burden. I saw it as I'm forcing myself to do things I don't want to do so I can get some reward in the end. That feels like something I have to renounce. And I don't. I want to live fully awake, fully alive, intentional. I want to figure out what I think the best way to live, the quest for the good life. I want to discover that and live it fully. 
Unfortunately for me, I found that in the life of Christ, right? Like selfless love as being the most meaningful and purposeful way to live. But suddenly now, I can live a Christian life that I don't have to renounce at the end. The way the thief has to renounce his entire life. How sad. So take this as a challenge, right? You want to live in such a way that you could look back over your life and not feel terrible regret. Okay, third perspective. I don't, I'm not as harsh as Damien, right? I don't consider the thief a coward. He's not someone I would deny. Where I'm at now, Joe Bankard, at 47 years old, looks at the thief and thinks, man, how terrible that he lived his whole life apart from grace, apart from love, and apart from God, that he finally finds it in this person as he's dying. But man, at least he had the courage then at least he had the courage then to confess, to renounce, and to change. Better then than never, correct? So here's how I experience the thief now. The thief has two moments of crucifixion. He experiences the crucifixion that he can't choose, the one that's the result of his crimes, the one that causes him to hang on the cross. That's crucifixion one. He can do nothing about it. The more important one for me is crucifixion number two. That's the crucifixion he chooses. The crucifixion he chooses is, I'm going to take the life I've led, I'm going to confess it, I'm going to lay it at the feet of Christ, and I'm going to accept grace for the first time maybe ever. And that kind of confession takes real courage. That's the crucifixion I'm going to challenge each one of you today to make. Can you take your life, can you find the pieces that you haven't given to God, that you haven't confessed, the parts of your life that are hidden, that you're ashamed of, that are in the dark, that are secret, and can you crucify those things? Can you lay those things bare? Can you confess those things that the darkness might get flooded with God's light, God's love? Because it is in the confessing of the places of our hearts and our lives and our minds, it's in the laying bare, it's in the crucifying of those things that create the cracks in our piece of pottery, those cracks that let the light in. Without it, nothing can penetrate. If, when you, if you keep pretending that you're okay, lying to yourself, deceiving yourself, then you end up like the thief who can't accept it, who can't lay bare, and he dies as he lives in rebellion, right? So for me now, the thief becomes inspiration. The pain and suffering that happen to you that you have no control over, the ways in which you get crucified from the exterior, I mean, they can lead to redemption, obviously. They can break you. But the crucifixion you choose, I think, ultimately will lead to your redemption, the one that you willingly lay down and submit. So I have a book if you're interested. I mean, you can read Damien. I think it's beautiful. There's a book. It's called To Share in the Body. It's by Craig Hovey. I have a quote, Craig Hovey. It's thin. It's like 90 pages. And every page packs a punch, like a beautiful punch right to the face, right? It's like, oh, wake me up. I needed it, right? So I want you to let this quote sink in for just a moment. The church is not entitled to make of the cross a symbol of victory in the absence of our participation in it. The church 
Joe Bankard, all of us, we are not entitled to make of the cross a symbol of victory unless we are willing to participate in it. The cross we choose. The choice to lay bare one's life, the darkest places, the, the hurts, the pains, the rejection you've experienced, all of those things that you want to lock up tight, that you want to live in the dark, that you want to feed that sense of guilt and shame, all of those things, by crucifying them, by laying them bare, that's when Jesus gets to look you in the eye and say, I love you anyway. There's nothing you could ever do, nothing that can separate you from my grace. But you don't get to hear that if you pretend. And you don't get to do that if you're filled with pride. We just don't. We don't get to hear it. So, next Sunday we're going to celebrate resurrection. We're going we're to talk about it. We're going to celebrate it. But there are no shortcuts to Easter. There are no shortcuts to Easter. If you want to participate in Christ's resurrection, if you want to experience what the thief experienced on the cross, it requires you to willingly be crucified. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for the way in which you've used this thief to teach me, to humble me and to mold me. I pray that we would learn from his example that we might have the courage, that we might have enough faith to trust that as we confess and lay bare the places where we feel broken and ashamed, that your desire is that we would share them so that you could replace that with your love, with your forgiveness and with your grace. Amen. If you would please stand for our closing song.